Blog Talk Radio.
the right ideas in any way, shape, or form. In fact, uh, my friend James Valiant was asking on Facebook, you know, is this a victory on behalf of any particular idea? And you can't really say that it is. I mean, you can say that people were voting for Trump, and many people, from what I understand, were holding their nose in voting for Trump. They were holding their nose. A bunch of people were doing this. Maybe even a majority of the voters were holding their nose. But why were they doing it? Because there is this sense still among Americans of defiance. You know, if you're familiar again with this show, I've quoted Rand before on this. And Ayn Rand had said that defiance, not obedience, is Americans' reaction to overbearing authority. Now, you could say that in putting any sort of allegiance behind Trump, that you are submitting to authority because there is an authoritarian feel to a lot of what he says. Uh, He wasn't so bad in his acceptance speech, but in the past he's talked about the ideas that you should believe him, you know, that you should in effect almost take him on faith, that you should be run by your emotions and your love of American nationalism. And that's going to guide, you know, your acceptance of him and his leadership his concession speech was not really, uh, you know, so much along those lines, which is a good thing. But, you know, so was this really a reaction to authoritarianism per se? No, Americans are mad. And I don't think that they're able, most of them, to identify in a principled, you know, principled way exactly what it is that they are mad about. They know that their well-being has been hindered by government, But I don't think that they understand that the reason that their well-being has been hindered by government is because our government is not limited to its proper function of protecting individual rights. Uh, You know, when you listen to Paul Ryan this morning, we'll talk about his speech in a little bit. He talks about the principles that, you know, embody America, that, that Americanism is about. He doesn't put them in exactly the same way that we would, but he's getting closer, right? But Donald Trump is not nearly as ideologically correct. Uh, Maybe he's not even ideological at all. Trump is not as Paul Ryan. So we've got a wild card here. You know, we have this spirit of defiance, this spirit of discontent, and we have at least a substantial plurality that was unwilling to vote for Hillary Clinton and was able to get this historic Trump victory achieved. Is it a win for the proper politics? Not by a long shot. So one thing we have to do is sort of check our expectations. The way that I try to put it is that it is at least possible that we may have effectively bought some time to, A, live our lives in a little bit more pleasant way, but also those of us who continue to like to put ideas out there in the culture and hope that they stick somewhere, we have a longer opportunity to do that. And I think that's, you know, the best thing that comes out of this. A lot of people, of course, are enjoying the defeat of Hillary Clinton and we're enjoying the dismay of the leftist mainstream media. I had CNN on for a long time last night and it was really funny for them to talk about, well, it's these white people, you know, these white people are voting and and uh, Van Jones was all dismayed. What is he going to tell his children? Don't talk to your children about politics. Right. Your kids are probably too young to even understand politics. Why don't you just talk to your kids about kids stuff? 
on the level of ethics and values and fun. Oh, he's all dismayed, you know, because Trump has won. That's going to destroy his children. There are some things that are not good about Trump, and there are things about Trump that I would not speak to a child about, right? Um, this is this is not what this is about. So yeah, so that is, that is a fun aspect of this. But there, you know, there we really do have to keep in mind what this election does or doesn't mean. It quite possibly might mean some time bought for us that we're not going to immediately go over the cliff that we can repeal Obamacare, replace it with Lord knows what we're going to see, but we can repeal that monstrosity and slow the progress towards socialized medicine as opposed to accelerate it under Hillary Clinton. Is that good? Is that bad? Some people think, oh, you know, if we had gotten Hillary Clinton, we would have clearly reached rock bottom more quickly and then maybe we could recover. You know, what theory do you, you know, that do you ascribe to in terms of how we get from where we are to the proper form of government? Do we have to hit complete and total suffering rock bottom first? Or can we have something like this? We'll have to see. Ben Shapiro had a very helpful tweet out there to help you put this in context. He says, Trump won fewer votes in victory than Romney did in defeat. So think about that. Trump did win this election, but he won it with fewer votes than Romney did when he lost. And he says, never underestimate what an awful candidate Hillary was. Because Hillary was such an awful candidate that someone like Donald Trump could win with people going to the polls, essentially out of fear and desperation and holding their nose, even so. So go ahead and kind of, you know, put that in context. So, yeah, so given that we're going to try to keep our expectations in check, that we're trying to see this for what it is, we're not seeing it for a victory for any sort of the proper political theory. Nonetheless, we can ask, is this potentially a win for America? And what evidence would we have that it might actually potentially be a win for America? If you want to phone in and talk about this, your perspective on this, the number to do so is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. I do have somebody already holding on the line to talk to me, and I think I know who it is. I think it's someone who wants to say, I told you so. I'll go ahead and let them do it. Is this Ed? It is. How are you doing? And, you, and you're going to say, I told you so. I, I did tell you so. Um, it, you did. It, it's Schadenfreude Wednesday, and I think we should all we should all spend a few moments watching the videos of all of the millennials crying on YouTube and in the news. Um, I, it's all worth it just to see that, really, when you get right down to it. Now, a lot of millennials were for Gary Johnson, though, right? And these ones are now also crying about Trump. Oh, I don't know whether I've seen yeah. that. I, I, I don't know. Any, I, I did hear that, that he did well with young, uh, that Johnson did well with young people. Um, right. And uh, that's, that's to the young people's credit. They don't have the perspective of someone our age. Um, but I'm not, I'm not going to blame anybody for voting for, for Johnson. I mean, it's not like Trump is this great, <laughs> it's this great thing. I mean, I think he has some positives. I wrote a short essay on your, uh, uh, in the comments to your blog last 
Monday to kind of explain my my view that I didn't quite get into the show, but um, I did think Trump had a good chance of being of being right, uh, not being right, of winning the election. Right. Um, and uh, I think you know people are. There's a certain segment of people who are tired of being called racist, sexist, bigots, homophobes, uh, hate mongers, just because we, they, oppose certain policies of the left. And, um, and then there was the, the various economic issues. Um, and I think that it all, all went Trump's way, but you know, it's marginally went Trump's way, right? I mean, it's not a huge, it's not a huge victory. I hear Hillary's still ahead in the popular vote. Exactly. Uh, Hillary is ahead in the popular vote, which, you know, Kane would not let us forget in his non-concession concession speech. That was a real winner. Did you watch all the speeches, Ed? I, I, I watched all the speeches last night. Uh, they did not watch the ones this morning because I had to work, but, um, but yeah, I, I I read a little bit about them on Twitter. I actually caught Obama's speech on CNN.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't bad, you know. I mean, he's got to feel he, he's got to feel pretty bad because uh, I mean, if Trump does half the things he says he's going to do, you know, help repeal Obamacare, yeah, uh, help you know get rid of some of the executive orders stop the climate change nonsense and oh my goodness it's so joyous read some of the client of the, the the climate alarmist blogs today it's just oh. such a joy to behold it's just such a joy to behold they're yeah. so upset when oh, when paul goodness. when paul ryan talked about you know giving hope to the coal workers that have been laid off and you know uh, removing oh. the shackles of, of regulation they just must be spinning in their not yet graves. Yeah. Ah, it was, it, it's a beautiful thing to see. And, you know, I had a moment of panic last night uh, in the, oh, my God, did we just elect Donald Trump to be president? Um, but I pushed that aside. I said, look, I'm, I'm not going to worry about that until next week. This week I'm going to enjoy watching the left cry. So kind of like people uh, do so, with their birthdays, you're going to give a whole week to this schadenfreude thing, not, not just schadenfreude the, yes, Wednesday? It, Okay. That's right. It's a whole it's a whole shot for a week, and then uh, <laughs> next week I'll start panicking about how bad uh, Trump is going to be. But I mean, there's the Supreme Court. I mean, uh, if you know, that'll be a very early thing, an early indication about whether Trump is going to fulfill any of his promises. He put out a list of 20 or so people. I, I know some of them. I'm not familiar with with all of them obviously but i know some of them and i think it's a it's a good list if you pick someone from the list um i think that's a very good indicator uh for how the trump presidency is going to go if he doesn't pick someone from the list if he goes you know off the reservation then that's an indication that you know it's going to be bad um right so that that'll be an early indicator i, I think another early indicator is uh and i really mean this um, you know, m- mercy is for wimps and, uh, his campaign director said that there's, he's still planning to appoint an independent prosecutor to look into the Clinton foundation. And if he does in fact do that, um, I, I think that's an excellent indication, 
uh, I realize that. Uh, so here's here's a question realize, though. Do you remember? So last night we were waiting, and of course Hillary didn't give a speech. She waited till today, and that could have been for a variety of reasons. But she did make this phone call, this concession phone call to Donald Trump, apparently congratulating him or whatever. Do you think that there was any sort of a deal made where Hillary was saying, look, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to not look for recounts and all this stuff. I'll go ahead and concede, but hey, go easy on me with this independent prosecutor stuff. Do you think anything like that is going on behind the scenes? Or Hillary didn't really have any leverage because his win was so clear there'd be nothing for her to bargain with? Um, I, you know, I wrote that as a joke on Facebook uh, last night that, you know, I'll concede now if you promise to commute my sentence to only life in prison. Um, right. You were thinking but, of that too. Uh, right. Right. But, you know, I, I no, that didn't happen. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think that happened. I, the, the news report I read this morning was that Hillary was too upset and she couldn't, she literally couldn't do it. And also she is really sick. I mean, I, I don't. I, you know, I would have voted for Ted Cruz if he had terminal cancer. So I don't think, you know, I, I don't think that uh, that health is necessarily a, a definitive factor. But I mean, she is really, really ill, and I think uh-huh. she just wasn't able to do it last night. And uh, so, uh, you know, she came out this morning, and I, 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 I read a little bit, but I didn't see that speech. Um, but it is, it is funny. If that's true, if she was too upset, and you know that uh, our first woman president couldn't give a speech because she was too emotional. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the most stereotypical? Isn't the most stereotypically stupid thing you've ever heard? You know, I mean, a lot. Of, a lot of this, though, right, is, is uh, this issue of, of expectations. Expectations can get you in trouble every single time, and. You know, minus a couple polls, there was the USC poll, and then I guess uh, Investors Business Daily had some polls too. Everybody was predicting a major win for Hillary over Donald Trump. She expected clearly that she was going to win. And, you know, so her expectations, you know, and, you know, versus reality, the, the, you know, disparity was so huge. That would be the, you know, the, the issue of emotion, but maybe you'd say, okay, well, she should have checked her expectations and everything else. Sometimes that can be difficult well, to do. The issue of the polls is very interesting. I mean, I think the person who really lost credibility in this was Nate Silver. And um, the reason is, and I tweeted at him like 20 times last night, like every tweet he would make, I would tweet back at him. Um, he was saying, well, you know, it was in the margin of error. There was a lot of, there was a lot of margin of error. It's like, no. All of these elections, every single one of them, are wrong in the same direction. The polls are wrong in the same direction. The Brexit right. was wrong in favor of the left. This was wrong in favor of the left. All of the polls are wrong in the same direction. And that is not a random – that's one statistic is, is called a systematic error. That is not yes. a random error. That is not margin of error. That is a systematic problem. And unless the pollsters – I mean, I think it's purposeful, but – that's another reason, but let's assume for a moment that it's not purposeful. Let's assume that it's simply the sampling problem. Um, they really have to uh, get their act together because nobody's going to believe them anymore. I mean, nobody believes them this time either. 
Um, yeah, I mean, and, we, we uh, did get a story about the issue of oversampling, but this seems to have gone beyond that even. Well, I, I, you know, how do you even get polls nowadays? I mean, I don't even have a phone. I mean, I have a phone. I mean, I have a cell phone. I don't have a, a what do they use? The wire Landline, I guess they do. They do I, the yeah, landline. landline. I don't have one of those. So right. how would I ever be polled? You know, and it's not like there's not a huge amount of people who are like this, uh, especially younger people. Um, and I think the likely voter models were all, you know, completely wrong uh, right. about who's a likely voter and not. Um, you know, the interesting I, thing, the interesting poll was the one that I discussed in, on my show the other day, the this USC Dorn's Life LA Times published poll. And they followed the same 3,000 people you know, consistently and kept checking in with those people. And it turned out to be one of the most accurate polls. But one of the fascinating things when you looked at the numbers there was that while a plurality said that they were going to vote for Trump, I think it essentially mirrored the results that we had here in the election, although I think it showed him winning more of, you know, the popular voter, a higher percentage than Clinton in this poll. Um, the, The fascinating thing was that a majority of those polled, not just a plurality, but a majority of those polled believed that Hillary Clinton was going to win, even though the plurality of their actual intention with respect to voting went to Trump. And I think that is the effect of the mainstream media. I believed, I believed that Hillary was going to win. I thought, okay, there's some small chance that Trump will do it. But this idea that we were going to have a result that probably could have been announced by midnight, although it took, you know, like till I don't know, one in the morning or something Pacific time before it, it was, was three three thirty. Well, yeah, it was three thirty four o'clock your time. I, it could it could have been called. The the dishonesty of the press also uh, the dishonesty of the polls the dishonesty of the press. Um, now that Dow Jones just hit a record high now, but yesterday um, when the futures market went into the tank, which was around nine p.m. eight eight nine p.m where it was down five, six, seven, eight hundred points. Um, and the Mexican peso had dropped in currency trading by 20%, the worst ever. The people who do these after hours futures and currency trades are not dumb people. They, they know what they're doing. And they knew something that was not being reported in, well, you know, MSNBC, CNN, and Fox, which is why I was flipping back and forth between last night. Those mm-hmm. currency traders knew something. And what they knew was that he was going to win Pennsylvania and Michigan. But they weren't the, – but the news weren't reporting that. They, they were not reporting that. And, no, uh, I mean, I was, now, I was, all watching, I was watching on CNN, right? And they're showing you, okay, X percentage of the vote has been counted, and then here are the counties that haven't been counted and where those counties have traditionally leaned and how many total votes might be there, so how many that Hillary might be able to make up. And there was this completely implausible path by which, you know, given the, you know, the lead that Trump had at that point, the total percentage of votes counted, the number of votes yet to be counted, and, you know, what Hillary could make up. Very, very implausible path, you know, might conceivably she might. There was no reason not to call these states so much sooner. I remember because I was flipping through 538 New York Times CNN. Those were the things that I was watching. And I was watching New York Times because they kept giving this chart of, 
you know, here are these yeah. key states and what percentage and stuff. It was a really nice, handy, visually little chart. And I remember watching for quite a long time. They've got 98, 99% of the Wisconsin vote counted with Donald Trump still up three full percentage points, which there's just like no chance that Hillary could have made up three full percentage points with the remaining votes to be counted. And yet they didn't call it. They didn't call it. My conspiracy theory about that was they didn't want to call it so that Hillary was able to send um, you know, Podesta out there and have him say, oh, all the votes must be counted and we'll talk tomorrow and, you know, we're going to bring this thing home or whatever stupid thing he was saying after it was already over. Um, and, and just give that. It's amazing that they sent Podesta out after the, after the emails. I, I, it's just, I know he was the campaign director, but I mean, after all the email thing, the, it was so completely tone deaf to reality to send him out. Maybe she was mad at him and said, okay, this is what you have to do. (laughs) Right. Or or Tim Kaine or something. Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, that was, that was weird. When I saw that, I was like, well, that is really weird. Um, uh, Well, she, she's not a well person. So, yeah, I was going to say Kaine had the dirty work this morning, right? Because Hillary was able to come in there, you know, kind of waltz in and give, the very gracious concession speech that all of her supporters would have wanted. Did she say a few things about what she hopes her followers will continue to push for policy wise and stuff? You know, we're going to protect the planet. Okay. Protect the planet from what and for what I'd like to ask her. Right. Uh, you know, it's one of the things we still have to do. We have to protect the planet. Um, but she was able to be gracious and say, okay, we cherish the peaceful transition and uh, you know, that he's going to be our next president. And so you have to have an open mind and allow him to lead and all this stuff that she said, right. Um, Kane, before she ever came on, came in there and he made sure to put the digs in. First of all, he, you know, kept emphasizing she's a woman, she's a woman, she's a woman. Uh, But the other things is that of course she's won the popular vote. So that's supposed to undermine the victory for Trump that Hillary has won, what, a percentage point more of the popular vote, you know, as if. Uh, And there's such a low turnout for both of these candidates, again, going back to that Shapiro tweet, that this low, you know, the small percentage of a small number of voters, just it's meaningless. Uh, So there's that. And then the other thing um, that he emphasized, he said, well, at least with Hillary, you don't have to worry about the loser challenging the results of the election or refusing to accept the results of the election. So he's putting these digs in this so-called concession speech after Donald Trump had set the tone of being gracious, of, you know, not even making it about him as much as he had before. You know, he sounded more humble. He sounded more earnest that he wanted to earn the respect and the pride of Americans and everything else. Whether he can do this is another story, but the tone, I, I liked, you know, the, the tone of his speech. And then Kane comes in and just kind of goes <clears throat> everywhere. And so then Hillary can come in and, and sound gracious and wonderful. And, and people really ad, ad, admired that speech that she gave. Well, after, after Podesta spoke last night, I wrote, you know, on Twitter, uh, um, Hillary not conceding. Oh, the irony. <laughs> because it's, you know, I mean, do, do they think we don't pay attention? I mean, I, I guess they 
do. I guess they do think we don't pay attention. Um, well, and, and the people uh, on know, CNN, her supporters on CNN were kind of agitated about this. They were saying, and, and I think it was, they had to concede because there were some pro you know, Trump commentators on their panel that they had there too, but they're pointing this out. They're saying, look, um, this election was basically over. It's not that late. Why didn't she stay around just a tiny bit longer and give the speech that her followers were waiting for? And, uh, you know, again, maybe it, it wasn't necessarily that she didn't ever intend to concede or I, I think, you know, like you were saying, maybe it was more her health, and the emotional impact of this loss that defied all of her expectations, likely that, you know, that would have been kind of fun to watch in terms of your uh, schadenfreude that we're supposed to enjoy this week. But, um, you know, it, it has this plausibility to it that, oh, it's too soon to concede. But in reality, maybe, you know, maybe not was ever the case that she wasn't going to concede. We don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. You know, she probably just wasn't thinking straight. I, I don't think she's a well person. Um, yeah. As, as far as the, as far as the popular vote, though, I mean, you have to realize that California is so far gone that, um, yeah. that it, California by itself shifts the popular vote, and so we, we go back to. Uh, Madison's genius of of saying, you know, you have to have a broad, you have to have a broad geographic support, not just not just running up the vote in one city or one one state. I mean, I know I know the left is going to be all over the uh, the electoral college again, but do we really want, you know, do we really want 10 million illegal aliens in California? choosing our president all the time. I think that's, I think the answer is we need to have a president who's have broad, you know, broad geographic support from, from many different areas of the country. And Trump uh, certainly has that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether he has that support, you know, again, I'm, I'm extremely happy um, because I wanted to see the left get punched in the eye, but um, you know, I, like we've talked about before, um, you know, I'm, I'm relatively concerned about Trump, uh, Yes. As as a person who you know is not you know 100 percent suited to that office, to put it mildly, um, right? You know, I mean, you know, the question is: the question is, does President he Cruz, does he seriously so. you know does he seriously want to create this legacy for himself, and you know do it because he actually earned it? Is he going to come in and be the quick study that he promises that he's going to appoint all the good people and all? We're we're going to have to see this. But, you know, the the way that I have been thinking about it, you know, for, of course, I did not vote for him. Full disclosure, I actually did pull the lever or fill in the bubble for Gary Johnson, right? Um, but in California, that's an easy decision to make because it was going to go for Hillary anyway. I wouldn't have given her my vote or Donald Trump my vote. But, you know, the the way I think about it is it is possible. It's possible. It's in the realm of possibility that I could actually in four years from now vote for Trump, depending on what he does. And there is a scenario that I could see where I would vote, not because I think 
that he is an ideologically correct person or ever will be, right? His epistemology, as far as we know, is messed up all over the place. I'm not a professional, but I've seen some arguments from people who are that I find convincing that his mind is not something that you actually really want in the presidency, that that we're going to be lucky if it turns out to be okay. But it seems that there's a chance of it. And if you look at the distinct policy proposals that I want to go through on his contract with American Voter, and he adheres to those, I think there's a chance that we will have bought some time and that we'll have, you know, again, this, this chance to continue going out there and trying to change the culture with the right ideas, which is the precursor of any politics anyway. So, yeah, you know, what, what do we expect? We expect that we're going to be we're going to be outspoken critics of Donald Trump at every step of the way for the next four years that we're going to be very busy doing this, but that at least we feel like we maybe have more of a chance to do this and that things aren't going to go to total hell immediately while we're doing this. Right. Yeah. Bill Whittle said Trump is a tourniquet. Um, But, Hmm. you know, again, on the very first time I called the show, you know, like two years ago, I said uh, that when you really get down to it, Ronald Reagan was only right about one third of the time. Um, and yet when you look back on his presidency, he seems a giant because of all he accomplished. But I remember right. going through his presidency and I remember thinking that, Oh my God, you're doing that. That's terrible. And this is terrible. And that's terrible. And it really came up to about a third of the time that he was doing the right thing. And I, the American people have such strength and resilience and the capacity for enterprise that I think you, you can, you can go for a president who's wrong two thirds of the time and have extreme flourishing. Um, and I think if Trump is, you know, I think Trump has the capacity to, to be wrong two thirds of the time. You know, I, I really do. I really think that he has the capacity to be right a third of the time. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't think Hillary would have been right. I mean, Obama hasn't been right about anything really. Um, and I don't think Hillary would have been right about anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the low bar. I mean, it really is a low bar that American politics takes because despite the wailing and gnashing of teeth on, on social media, um, for most people, the government is just an annoyance and not important to their everyday lives. And as long as they're left alone, more or less, they can flourish. And that's all you really need to do. So let's hope Trump, you know, does a little bit of leaving us alone and, you know, get rid of Obamacare. I mean, I... You were affected by Obamacare this year. I'm going to be affected next year because I'm starting my own business. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, something has to be done about that. Uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that whatever they do is going to be the free market answer, but uh, it, it's right. got to be better than where we're going right now. Um, right. So that was a major, that was a major issue for me. Uh, personal issue, you know, I mean, it's, it's a personal well, and issue it is it is urgent, right? Because when you have something like Obamacare, which represents this huge leap forward in the push towards socialized medicine, right? Which and and yeah. you know, regulating this this huge economy and putting so many people through the Medicaid expansion into single payer and stuff like that. If you don't try to unravel that as quickly as possible. It just becomes more and more entrenched and it becomes harder and harder to do as it is right now. I do not envy the lawmakers who are going to have to try to undo this mess and figure out how to do it in a way that's not going to get a whole bunch of people who now feel entitled upset. Yeah. Right. No, I, I agree. I, you know, I know what you can do about the Medicaid expansion. 
Um, that's that's immoral and a disaster, but it's probably not something they're going to touch. But if they can just get rid of all of the mandates on all of these policies, I mean, I don't understand why I should have to buy a policy that covers pregnancy for me right. and for my wife, neither of which are going to get pregnant, or, uh, you know, sex change operations or any of the other nonsense that they right. that are extremely expensive. Um, you know, if they can just do away with some of the mandates, some of the mandates, I think it'll be fine. Um, but I, you know, they're so, not going to get rid of the, uh, they're not going to get rid of the, um, per, the ban on pre-existing, uh, of using pre-existing conditions. That no one's talking about that, and and I, I've had that effect on my life uh, in the past, and it wasn't pretty at the time. And so uh, there's just not going to be any energy to it. Of course. You and I want a complete free market in medicine, but that's not on the table. Um, there's no energy Wait, in the without, without to that, do there is that. always going to be this pressure to creep toward further and further controls, further and further consolidation, further yeah. government subsidies, yeah. because it, it, the market is unsustainable if you mandate that people issue insurance policies at a loss. Yeah. Which is what the pre-existing fact, condition provision requires, you know? And in fact, in, in Virginia, um, there is a, uh, I forget exactly what they call it, but there is a, a government supported, um, you know, high risk plan. You know, if you're high risk, you go into this pool and you get that insurance pool um, for all the people who are uninsurable. Um, and, uh, you know, Republicans aren't free marketeers, right? And so I, they might even do what the Democrats called the public option, you know, this, uh, this high-risk pool um, right. concept. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't do, th- if they didn't do that. Um, but that doesn't mean that life might not get better for the rest of us. You know what I mean? Uh, as far as just our everyday health care. Um, now, in, so in, you know, in terms great, of um, in, ter- in terms of his contract with the American voter, he's got this little section about repeal and replacing Obamacare. Fully repeals Obamacare, replaces it with health savings accounts, the ability to purchase health insurance across state lines, and let states manage Medicaid funds. Reforms will also include cutting the red tape at the FDA. There are over 4,000 drugs awaiting approval, and we especially want to speed the approval of life-saving medications. So all of those will be cost savings to the healthcare market, but can it make up for, you know, putting a mandate to cover pre-existing conditions? I don't know about that. Let me also go, Sir DMZ over in the chat room here at Blog Talk Radio has put a link to the healthcare section of the Donald Trump website. Uh, repeal and replace uh, care system, promote choice, equality, affordability, high-risk pools, like you're saying. Work with states to establish high-risk pools to ensure access to coverage for individuals who have not maintained continuous coverage. Uh, Purchase across state lines, flexibility for states via block grants so they can do the Medicaid. So all this efficiency stuff. But yeah, these these high-risk pools, those are going to be, I assume, government-subsidized as well? Yeah, I mean that's yeah, and that's bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, again, Donald Trump is not, Donald Trump is not John Galt, right? I mean, he's not even close to John Galt. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean things can't get better you know, on the margin. Yes. Things can can get better on the margin, 
perfection is not on the ballot in the United States and never has been, except George Washington. Um, and so uh, we have to be satisfied with maybe being better, you know, yeah. a little bit better rather than a little bit worse. That's worth fighting right. for. I agree. I agree. So, Ed, any last words before I go on? No, I will let you go. Um, I will continue to enjoy my Schadenfreude Wednesday and and Thursday and uh, maybe and the all Thursday the and the Friday and all weekend and yes, um, and enjoy. Yes. And yes, you. I love right. all the people on Facebook posting the oh we we can't gloat and we can't be mean and we can't uh, you know um, uh, be nasty and mostly liberals you know keep it together. I'm like. Do you remember the 2008 election? I mean, do you guys have any memory at all of 2008? <laughs> no, yeah. no. Yeah, but I, don't but, I mean, really this, this, this guy is this guy's stuff. nothing to gloat about. I mean, the first thing I said was checks and balances activate. We really need to put pressure on our representatives to exercise their power via the system of checks and balances to curb any excesses that do come up with this guy. I think the fact that he uh, behaved himself for the last month of the election um, and he didn't, you know, the, the, Kellyanne Conway, actually Kellyanne Conway deserves a lot of credit. I wonder what she's going to get in the new administration, but I mean, they took Twitter away from, him, right? I mean, they, they said, okay, Donald, that's after he went into that tweet storm about the, the woman, you know, one of the women, um, they, they told right. him, look, you, you want to win this? You can't do Twitter. You got to be right. And he right. did. No, he did, though. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, okay, all right, maybe he can. I don't know whether he can do it for four so he, years. He can learn. He can take direction. He can restrain himself, or he can hire people who will restrain him. He, it sounds like he might yeah. know a little bit about what to do. And, you know, and again, I'm not – John Bolton and I disagree, and you, uh, on privacy issues, but John Bolton right. is a smart guy. And, uh, you know, Attorney General Rudy Giuliani, that sounds good to me. Um, Secretary of Bridges, uh, uh, Chris Christie, I think that's, I think he's going to be the Secretary for Bridges. I would, I would definitely like to get Trump's ear on privacy issues, though. It would be interesting if I could try to persuade anybody who's associated with Trump about the proper theory he, of he this. Might, he, he might be open to it. You know, it's weird because, I mean, he probably doesn't have a position on privacy. Right. You, you know what I mean? Because he probably, I mean, he certainly wants his own privacy. Of course, he's a businessman. He doesn't want his own dirty laundry out on the internet like John Podesta. Uh, he might be open to it. You never know. Well, we'll All right, find I'll out. Let you go, Amy. Thank Thanks you for, again, Ed. Uh, letting me gloat. Okay, no problem. And uh, congratulations on being right, even though it might be somewhat of a little bit of a booby prize here. We'll have to see how it goes. Now, what are people saying over here in the chat room? Is Hillary's policy? any better than Trump's? No, definitely not. Definitely not. And yeah, this could buy us a little bit of time before doing the fast track to socialized medicine. Tim in the chat room has a link, the graciousness of the left, and he's giving us a Twitter status. Okay, someone is saying that California and some of the middle of the country, I guess, that has voted for Hillary, that's America. Some of the East that voted for Hillary, that's America. And in the whole middle part that voted for Trump, 
They're calling that dumb Ephistan. Can't say it. So some people are actually saying, and this is this brings up something that I had heard the rumor about Cal Exit. That some people in California are saying that they want to actually secede from the country because Trump won. Obviously, ideologically, California is at odds with the those who actually elected Donald Trump. They they really wanted Hillary. People were very excited about Hillary here. There were long lines at the polls in Los Angeles, presumably to vote for Hillary Clinton. I had friends who were very excited to vote for her that posted pictures of themselves in what they had, you know, for pantsuits to show solidarity, et cetera. Um, now people are saying, is Hillary relevant? We're talking about Trump. I think Hillary is relevant again, to the extent that a significant minority in our country was willing to vote for her, that some people were enthusiastic about her despite all of the corruption and despite her collectivist philosophy, some of them because of her collectivist philosophy. And and that is a disturbing thing and something that we need to realize the urgency if we have bought this window of time to continue to educate. We'll have to see. Motive Power in the chat room says, I wonder if all those leftists will actually go to Canada. One can only hope. Sorry, Canada. If other people want to call in and talk, the number to do so is 760 888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. I'm also semi-monitoring over on Facebook. I've got the Don't Let It Go Unheard page and a little bit out there on Twitter as well. Uh, So Trump's acceptance speech, I was alluding to it a little bit earlier. He was essentially quite gracious. He did talk a lot about infrastructure that he was eager to put you know, millions of Americans to work building infrastructure, and I found that somewhat disturbing. He spoke optimistically about the tremendous potential in the country. He was you know, making the whole thing not about him, but about all of the supporters. You know, he called it more of a movement. It's about everyone there. He says it's about us on our victory. You know, it's not just about him. Um, he was gracious about Hillary thanking her for her service and, you know, talking about Americans or all races, religions, backgrounds, et cetera, and that this government, he says, our government is going to serve the people. So at least the idea that government should serve the people. Did he talk about individual rights? No, he talked about unlocking potential, making a great infrastructure not forgetting the women of our country, fixing inner cities. We're going to take care of veterans. Veterans got a huge you know, chunk of mention in this acceptance speech, so you would expect him to follow up on that. Economic plan in which he promises to double growth, have the strongest economy anywhere in the world. There was one thing in particular that I did like about the speech, though, right? And, and people will criticize him for nationalism and there, there's a distinct difference between nationalism that says, let's put America first, but not in any principled way. You know, the idea that you can get ahead by, you know, climbing the ladder and basically stepping on everybody else's shoulders and stuff as you're climbing up the ladder, that sort of thing. And at least in this acceptance speech, Trump was not speaking about blind nationalism kind of 
you know, acting on the whim of the moment to put America first in the way that you're anticipating these really onerous trade deals where we're going to slap huge tariffs on things and therefore hurt lower income families who are purchasing things at Walmart and all of this stuff. Here's what Trump actually said in the speech. He says, I want to tell the world community that while we will always put America's interests first, we will deal fairly with everyone, with everyone. He says, all people and all other nations. We will seek common ground, not hostility, partnership, not conflict. And, you know, again, what do those words mean to him? Does he have a principled understanding of what he's saying? You could if you did have that principle understanding, use these words to mean that we are going to pursue our rational self-interest, that we will put our interests first, but we will deal with everyone according to a code of morality. We're going to deal fairly and justly with everyone around the world. We're not going to immediately try to enforce our will on others. We will try to seek common ground, the so-called win-win relationship and and things like that. So it remains to be seen what he's going to do with that. But, um, and, and, and we don't even know, you know, I was having a hard time one, you know, thinking about the fact, did he actually write that? Were those words meaningful to him? Because he very quickly after saying those things, which I think were very important because they could have potentially embodied a proper understanding of rational self-interest, a nation's self-interest, he went right into the thank yous and so quickly that it, it, I didn't know whether he was fully digesting what he was saying, but you can go back and watch his speech and, and decide that for yourself. So the speech itself, some good stuff in there. And, you know, you could say, Hey, if he does get a third of this, right, then things might go pretty well. Paul Ryan's speech, Paul Ryan, the big speculation everyone's trying to make is, is he going to continue as Speaker of House? What I got from all of his remarks and the back and forth and the Q&A and everything else is that he is working with Trump to achieve a good transition, to get everything off, you know, hit the ground running, so to speak, when Trump takes office in January. But I don't gather from this that they've worked out an agreement for Trump to support Paul Ryan's candidacy as Speaker of House. Ryan did say that he plans to run for re-election as Speaker, but you don't get this confirmation uh, that Ryan wants to, and in effect it's going to be up to Trump, but that Ryan is optimistic that they're going to be able to work together. Ryan congratulated Trump on this, you know, in the context. It is a tremendous victory, even though he did it with a very relatively small number of votes for him to beat out Hillary Clinton today was quite a remarkable thing, something that didn't, you know, people didn't expect. But the things that I liked in Ryan's speech were first of all his explicit mention of the principles that our country was founded on in in his terms. He says liberty, freedom, free enterprise, consent of the governed. Liberty, freedom, free enterprise, consent of the governed. Now, free enterprise, capitalism, capitalism actually properly would be seen as embodying the principles of individual rights, including private property rights. Does it mean all of those things for him? Is Paul Ryan a perfect objectivist in any way, shape, or form? No, of course not. 
but for him to at least talk about honoring timeless principles that our country was founded on, that makes him head and shoulders above Trump. Again, Trump's acceptance speech, he, you know, spoke in a way that is consistent with a proper understanding of America's rational self-interest, but the idea of him actually understanding the principles on which the country was founded and implementing them deliberately, I, I wouldn't, you know, expect that of a Trump the way that you could expect that more of Paul Ryan, who's familiar with Rand's work. So it was good that he did that. And the other thing that came out is when he was in the Q&A talking about the sort of work that he anticipated getting started on. Uh, so, and, you know, he talked about Wisconsin, of course, was the fact that Wisconsin went for Trump was apparently a huge coup. I'm skipping through some of the, the Q&A. Um, talking about repealing Obamacare, of course, he says, yeah, the problem so far has been President Obama's veto. Now we have a President Trump coming who is asking us to do this, so it looks like they're going to be able to do that. And then he says, with the unified Republican government, we can fix this, Obamacare. He says, we can fix these problems. And he says, look, it's not just the health care law that we can replace because we now have shown the willingness and the ability to do it. He says, there are so many more things that I am excited about. He says, think about the laid off coal workers now who see relief coming. Think about the farmers here in Wisconsin who are being harassed by the EPA in the waters of the USA. Think about the ranchers in the West who are getting harassed by the Interior Department or the laid off timber workers. He says, there is relief coming. This is good for our country. This means we can lift the oppressive weight of the regulatory state. We can restore the Constitution. And he says, think about the conservative Constitution respecting judges that will be nominated. He says, this is very exciting. So Ryan himself seems to be optimistic that a number of these very good things can be achieved. The other thing when he was talking about judges, it was in a different part of these remarks. People were saying, oh, is Donald Trump going to tramp on everyone's civil rights? And he was saying the judges that Trump is promising to appoint from the list are themselves rights respecting judges. And so you should not expect that Donald Trump would trample on people's, quote, civil rights. You know, civil rights, I hate that term, but individual rights is what we should all care about the right to freedom of action, to act according to your own best judgment, so long as you are not infringing rights of others, so long as you are not forcing to act, you know, them to act against their will. Everyone needs to have the ability to do this. And this idea that you're going to protect the planet from coal miners and people who work in the timber industry and farmers and others who are doing nothing more than converting the resources in our environment to our own best use and to enriching our lives, to staying alive, right? I mean, what, what does Hillary want to do? Hillary and the others, they want to protect the planet from human beings who are trying to stay alive. That's vicious. And we're seeing an explicit promise to have a reprieve on that push to so-called protect the planet. So I think that that is good. We'll see if they carry through on this. Um, Kane's non-concession concession speech is also there in the program notes. You can check it out. As I said, I had the idea that Hillary probably delegated to him the digs about the popular vote, the dig about, well, at least with Hillary, she's going to graciously concede the election 
and accept, you know, that Donald Trump is going to be president. But boy, if he had been elected, who knows? There was no reason to be saying those things after Donald Trump gave the speech that he did. And I am so glad now, I mean, I didn't know very much about Kane, but I am so glad I do not have to watch him give speeches for the next four years. That would be gross. Obama gave his own speech and, as I recall, did not specifically mention Obamacare, but he did talk about, you know, that he got assurance that Donald Trump wants to do the right thing for all Americans or achieve the best interest of Americans, et cetera. And I imagine that he's going to try to argue for keeping some parts of Obamacare and not destroying his legacy fully, but I don't think he's going to get very far. He did pledge to have a smooth transition, which is what he benefited from, from George W. Bush, an expedient transition. Everybody keep their heads up and all sorts of stuff. It was, it was a, you know, a gracious speech. He didn't take questions or anything. The only one who took questions there was Ryan and, and, you know, kudos for him, but everybody else just kind of gave their speech and, and ran, but Obama's speech probably instilled some confidence in people that, Trump doesn't necessarily mean to come in and do you harm right away. Uh, And also sort of a promise to, you know, they're going to continue to fight for some of the things that they care about. Some of the things that I would agree with. So, for example, I would like to preserve a woman's right to choose an abortion. Uh, I would like to preserve gay marriage even through a Donald Trump presidency. One thing that's notable about Trump is Trump's acceptance speech didn't have any mention of God or religion in it that I saw at all. Not a single mention of God or religion from a GOP candidate. So that's interesting. Even Hillary Clinton's own concession speech made reference to scripture. Donald Trump's from the GOP did not. So let's take a quick look at the contract for the American voter. I've only got a couple of minutes, actually. This is not good, but let me skip to a few things. The School Choice and Education Opportunity Act redirects education dollars. Oops, okay. Uh, they need to get tax dollars out of education, but redirects it to give parents the right to send their kid to the public, private, charter, magnet, religious, or homeschool of their choice. Okay, so at least there's that. Ends Common Core. Yay. Brings education supervision to local communities. That's an improvement. Step in the right direction, at least. Expands vocational and technical education. Mm, Don't want to expand any educational programs. Uh, Makes two- and four-year college more affordable. That will continue the education bubble. So this is probably typical of what you're going to get. You're going to get some good things and some bad things. Uh, We're going to, as the weeks come, we're going to examine the things that Donald Trump is starting to actually do. Of course, after he starts and he promises to do certain things in the first 100 days, we're going to see if we can hold him accountable. We can see if we can criticize those aspects of his agenda that are no good. But anyway, we're going to see. There is some chance that this will end up being good for the American people, mostly, I think, because it buys us time from the immediate disaster and then we can continue our ability to try to influence the culture and enjoy what we're doing here in America, live our lives. So everyone take care. I got to go now and I will talk to you on Monday. I'll put some notes about the interview out on social media later. Okay. Take care.